The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I'm Bill Amadeo from Manus Amadeo and Grayborn Associates and Six. Chi-Town 6. Good seeing Mary Valentine today. <laughs> Watch, that was a cool um, catch-up. Today, I'm going to follow Mike Picotney's lead on this and just speak from the heart. You know, speak from the heart, it's tough. I'm going to discuss four things today. One, generalities about the case I'm working on. <laughs> I did shower at the gym with a towel on, like, before I went in. Two, drama with the media. Three, talk about the used and their 2002 self-titled album to use because that came up in detailed text messaging last night and today. I'm going to get my take on that. And lastly, I'm going to send a message to a friend. And it is a person who is a friend. I'm going to explain why they are a friend. I'm going to explain the importance of that relationship. You know, we talk about the inner circle and people we let into our world. It's really a unique thing, because if there's one thing I've learned, and Mike, I'm trying to follow your lead on this, um, I'm a master at showing what I want to display to the world. It's like I've taken the game of poker, and I have literally evolved into this thing that you'll see at times, and... I just want to rip the band-aid off today a little bit and the exhaustion will take part of that and I wanted to do this live today and give more content to Josh Strickland because I want to do it with the guard being down a little bit it's not easy for me to let the guard down because I was always told where I come from if the guards down you get knocked on your ass get knocked on your ass you can't protect and provide for your loved ones so the guard's always up and he's all ready to strike you know striking is what's necessary i don't know if striking is enjoyable um i think we convince ourselves it's enjoyable i know i'm certainly guilty of that let's start with the case you feel me on that thank you there's this case I gotta tread lightly here because I know enemies tune in and watch these lives and put them on replay and they listen to the jail visit in hopes of getting me disbarred or suspended. And I'm up last night and I take my phone out and I start researching this case again. Because this case, to me, it's the ultimate. Somebody who's completely innocent 
and we don't care about the truth anymore. We care about political agendas. And as I'm scouring through my emails and research and concepts and theories that have taken up so much of my world, I find something. And I'm texting Matt McManus at 3.12 a.m. And I said, look at this. We could add this to a motion. Look at that. You know, and... This case is so goddamn important. And it's a situation where the truth doesn't even matter anymore. It's a sales pitch. It's really a fucking sales pitch. And my Uncle Sam, Sam I always one of the best people I ever met in my life. Took me under his wing, taught me things. And he said to me one time, he goes, you know, Billy, in life, no matter what you're doing, everything comes down to sales. We're selling ourselves, we're selling a product, we're selling a client. And I sometimes feel it is good versus evil. And I'm not going to bullshit, I've defended guilty people. I've convinced myself in the field of criminal law that because criminal law took me from nothing to something and changed my social economic status and my perception of how you guys think of me then I gotta go all in on every case and I do there's more mental exhaustion when you know for a fact the person you're representing is innocent no matter how you feel about your client whether it is a six-figure case or a pro bono case, we are obligated to go the green mile. That's what we're supposed to do. And when you go in that mile, you're out there and you're exhausted. It's 3.12 in the morning and you're banging out your phone. And you get up to use the bathroom. You splash some cold water in your face. You try to go back to sleep. You can't stop thinking about this case. I mean, that's deep. And of course, like with so many of my cases, the media gets involved, right? I don't think I've ever been quoted 100% of what I said to the media. It's fascinating. I got to the point when the press contacts me, I like record it. So if I got to say what I really said, I could present that. And I look at the media as this powerful and evil empire. Because what are they doing? They're selling. Everything in this goddamn world is about sales. And we have this awesome responsibility to live and work in the justice system. And sometimes nobody gives a shit. And it made me think about The Used. The Used was this amazing band. They're still out. But in 2002... Hey, Ed Cooper, what's up, my old friend? In 2002, The Used had their self-titled album. 
And guys, you know, music is so powerful, right? If you ever listen to an album, CD, Spotify, whatever, right? And as a kid, you enjoyed that music. But as you go back years later, you start focusing on those lyrics. You look at how your life has changed. You look at the people that want to be around you. You look at the circumstances of everyday life. And let me be real, man. Everyday life is a more powerful drug than cocaine and heroin combined. You will have the lowest of lows you will have the highest of highs. And the people that you let into your world will help guide that. And those of us that are leaders have to watch out for agendas, for circumstances. It would be real easy at times if I just had a normal goddamn life. Because what I do in my world, what makes me good at what I do and exhausts the shit out of me like today, when I have been looking at my phone at 312 and hitting the gym early and doing jail visits, and if I don't work my ass up on the weekend, I'm not going to be successful. That's been taught to me, right? Right? That's what Aunt Mare said to me. So, that's what you know. And what you do is you do what you know. I don't care if you're a janitor you be the best goddamn job in the world. If you're a lawyer, you'd be the worst goddamn lawyer in the world. But whatever your station in life is, it is because you do what you know or what somebody told you you're supposed to do. And that's so goddamn frustrating because we get caught into this, like, atmosphere of who's important and who's not and who's in crowd. Who's not. Let me tell you guys, I have been a nobody and I've been the most powerful guy in the room more times than you could imagine. And the difference between that is inches it's someone's goddamn perception somebody said on google i was the best criminal lawyer in the state of michigan so it must be true but then somebody said on google in a chat i'm a piece of shit so it must be true it all depends on perception and when i think of the used in that album in 2002 when i listen to it now it's more like therapy as opposed to enjoyment and I get my highs, I get my lows. And here we are in this group chat. We're bagging it out, right? These so-called intellectuals that I'm lucky enough to be in this group with call from all these different stations of life, right? But here we are, this group of lawyers. And they're talking about their perception of the used. Now, Understanding the poker game of life so goddamn well. And believe me, I get it, man. I could easily just go with the flow. Where I could take control of the conversation. I could just be real about stuff. I could be fake. Whatever. And I think back, there was conversations about three songs on that album. First song was Buried Myself Alive, and I'll post these songs later. 
Burying Myself Alive is one of the songs that put the used into the national spectrum. I remember listening to this song in 2002 and now listening to it in 2023. Burying Myself Alive is basically saying that you have reached a new level because of your success. Think about it. Listen to some of the lyrics. You almost always pick the best time to drop the worst lines. Stop there for a minute. What's he saying there? Well, I mean, it's an easy take, right? If you don't look deep at those lyrics, you almost always pick the best times to drop the worst lines. He's saying... In a painful way, I'm going to humor people to be in this certain clique. But it gets deeper. The line that always got to me. And I felt the day that I had my own time, I took advantage of myself and felt fine. What's he saying there? He's telling you that his talent brought him into a circumstance. Maybe it got him the girl he liked. Maybe it got him to that party he wanted. I don't know. But at some point along the way, he traded a piece of himself to take advantage of the personality he presented to the world. As I'm saying this in the text message, and I realize at this point I'm taking control of the conversation. They're hanging on my every word. I get it. I'm looking deep at these lyrics. And I'm just being real about it. The song Blue and Yellow. By the way your hands were shaking, rather waste some time with you. Think about that. Rather waste some time with you. And someone's hands are shaking there, right? What's that saying? It's saying that in this circumstance, you're second best. And that's okay. Give me some crumbs. Let me just be accepted. Let me be in your presence for a minute. And that song just saddens me. Because to me, I'd rather not be in that group. I'd rather not be invited to the high-end party with the elitist millionaires if they're going to chuckle behind my back. I, I don't want that. Don't give me your pity. Don't give me your empathy. And what this guy is saying is, you know, I'm just going to accept it. I'd rather be at the party for the wrong reasons than stay home for the right reasons. There's pain in that song. Noises and kisses. The song starts by saying, look in my eyes, I'm jaded now, whatever that means. This whole album is about coming of age. It's about somebody being lost. It's about somebody who's seeking something, seeking approval. And you realize where I'm from. The concept of seeking approval. And Ed Cooper, feel me on this. We don't seek approval. We take that part off, right? We just convinced ourselves at a very young age that doesn't matter. We will do our own thing. 
And when you're from Atlantic City, you grew up in that time period, you grew up poor, and you battled through it, something was lost along the way. And when you're selling yourself, and this is where I relate to the used, when you're selling yourself, you're telling the world, well, you got to take this version of me and go to hell if you don't like it. And you forget at times the people you're dealing with may not even mean to be judgmental, but everything's goddamn learned behavior. That brings me to my last point. I got a friend. And this person, I don't know if you're watching right now, I know you will watch. You're so goddamn unique. What I like about you more than anything is you're real. You just get it. And sometimes you don't realize you get it. When I talk about my inner circle, there's peaks and valleys in life, right? And when I choose to put somebody in my inner circle, I choose people who I feel would be there with me in the battle, no matter what my station was in life. And there's been some weird stations in life. There was being the poor white kid in Ducktown, battling for your life. There was being the college kid that was working full time. There was taking the LSAT in the union years when I couldn't get into law school, which I view as my own personal purgatory. Then there was law school. Then there was getting screwed over by the first firm and the battles with the economy. And then there was just going into tutoring and Aunt Mare and Mom dying along the way. Then there was struggling. And then lastly, when all the bullshit evolved and you're rolling through the hell and fire that is life sometimes. I found myself, and I became this, whatever the hell this is, with this came popularity, came acceptance, came money, came people kissing your ass, and that's all good, because let me be real, man, it's real easy to be my goddamn friend today. Who the hell wouldn't want to be my friend today unless you were with the Attorney General's office or something? If you get in trouble with the law, I got your back you're in my circle i'll take care of you financially i'm the protector i'm this i'm that but what really makes someone special and this person who is much more special than they realize they are and i can't put this in the text because the text might get intercepted and the politics of life say if i sent this text to you and somebody got your phone and read it they're going to twist it so pay careful attention to what i'm about to say because I'll say it to your face, I'll say it on the phone, but I can't reduce it to a text message, unfortunately. Even though I know that text would help you get through the day, I simply can't put it in a text. You would have been there with that poor white kid in Atlantic City. High-fiving and laughing and being my friend. And when I was that college kid working my ass off, you would have admired me for protecting my family. 
when I couldn't get into law school those few years, you would have patted me on the back and said you could do it. When I was in law school, and the times were rough that first term, you would have told me it was okay. When I became the king of the law school, you would have told me, hey, B, slow your roll. You would have the power to do that. When I got screwed over with jobs after passing the bar, you would have told me better times were to come. When my loved ones that raised me died, you would have been at the funeral. When I was tutoring, you would have said it's just a means to an end, you're only supporting Aunt Mayor. When I was struggling when I came out to Ann Arbor, you would have laughed and said, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And when I finally got to here, where the hell here is, you would have fist pounded me and said, we're good. Because you're going through those areas right now. You make everyone's life better, and you don't realize it. And I think one of the reasons we're not as close as we are is because of the circumstances of life. Geography, whatever you want to put it. But you don't realize how amazing you are. You don't see it. And I can't text it. But I want you to know, I feel it. You're a cut above. There's so many things about you I wish I possessed at times. And there's so many things about me you admire. But when you start looking deeper into the picture, you realize everything's been a goddamn trade-off. So, my friend, and I say this because you are my friend. You may not be in that McManus, Grable, Dangleish, Kelly click, because, you know, it's here. You are so goddamn unique. And when you have those moments, you have those times you just want to break down and cry and throw in the towel, remember something. You possess something we all admire. And most people aren't going to tell that to you. But you need to know it. And I wish I could just text that to you, but I can't. You understand why. But thank you for being you. Thank you for understanding why I'm up at 3.12 in the morning. And thank you for patting me on the back when the media goes wrong. And thanks for understanding what the use was really saying in 2002. And thank you for being there, even though I didn't know you then that whole roller coaster of life because you're one of those unique people you can just feel it when you're in my inner circle my goal is to make your life better whether it be emotionally or financially whatever you're in and I have to do my part to protect and even though you aren't there Physically, I want you to know you're there emotionally. And we're all better for having known you. And I hope in the near future, you decide to say, fuck it. I'm going to do me. Because when you do, you are seriously going to soar. And 
I'm not just going to be the one that sees it. It's going to be undeniable to even the assholes of the world. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live audience is here, and today we're going to talk about the eulogy. You want to do eulogy again? I've a couple. And this one... This was weird, guys. I don't know. Been a long week, haven't it? Mm-hmm. All right. So, a former client. Hey, Gary, what's going on? A former client contacts me, and we stayed friends after the case was over. Right? Got the case dismissed. We became friends. I felt bad for this guy. Like he was. He get, he breaks up with this girl. He's extremely devastated. And I, I start making jokes, which, man, it doesn't go over well. You know me. Oh, she broke my heart. Like, all right. You know? What? And you're looking at her like, eh, she's okay, but I mean, you can do better. Then you get aggravated, right? You're trying to solve people's problems. Like, dude, you know what? You can throw a dart in a bar and do better. And he's, you start trying to give him tough love and this and that. And then finally you realize this poor soul. He just wants her. So you wish him well, and you just listen to him. But, like, when he's talking, you're kind of, like, typing and texting and doing other things, but you're lending an ear. And this guy thinks he's, like, your best friend. And, by the way, he is not on social media, so he'll never figure it out. But, you know, this is the guy, and we all know this guy, right? You see him a couple times a year, and he wants you to be the best man at his wedding. It's that poor guy. He's not a lot of friends, right? But you're nice. Nice guy. I'm sure, I got my moments right, but so he calls me, and his cousin died. Like, oh man, I'm really sorry. It'd be an honor if you would come to the funeral. Huh. Now, <laughs> all right. Let me explain about the funeral. Let me explain about the deceased. The deceased grew up in New York. And he was a Michigan import. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Like me? Yeah. And it's during COVID. And this is like during the heat of COVID. I know you think COVID was fake. You know, you got COVID yourself. But, okay. The sniffle. This this is during like COVID crazy times, right? You couldn't leave the house. And this guy says, hey, my cousin died. Will you come to the funeral? God forgive me. I'm thinking this is like Junior Corrado getting a furlough, Uncle June. Like, oh my god, I need to leave the house. The funeral's like three hours away. So I call Matt. Hey, former client, remember him? No. Okay, anyway, his cousin died. He wants me to come to the funeral. Matt's like, oh shit, can I figure out a way to come with you? Figure it out. Uh, he couldn't. So I am driving to this funeral three hours away. And um, did you ever see the pole bearer with David Schwimmer, who was Bill Abernathy? That was this, right? Matt's trying to go to the funeral. I feel bad for the guy's loss, but I'm glad to get out of the house. I got the Spotify work, and I'm hitting the highway. And um, I'm on the phone with Danielle Cattare. May she rest in peace. And Danielle's, like, losing her shit with me. Oh, my God. You're going to a funeral three hours away. How dumb are you? I guess you're flipping the red hair now. And um, I get to the funeral. And 
I mean, I'm texting my people. Drew, you don't remember, but you got some taxes. I'm sure. Matt was getting taxes. Pete Winter and I were tight at the time he was getting taxes. Like, hey, guys, I'm going to this funeral, and I'm out of the house, and blah, blah, blah. So I go to the funeral, and I'm shaking hands with people. Hey, how you doing? I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. Sorry for your loss. And, like, there's these camps at the funeral, right? Like the Hatfields and McCoys. You go up to these one people, and you shake their hands. You go up to this other family, shake their hands. I don't realize there's this riff. And one of the people come up to me like, hey, why'd you talk to those son of a bitches? Like, what? Then you realize that these people are at this funeral. They don't all like each other. They don't. But they're here at this funeral, and they probably haven't seen theirs since 1987, right? But here they are at this funeral, and they're mad that me... Who was this very important person, apparently. I didn't realize I was important at this thing. Um, right, Mike P., you're right. I was supposed to fist bump because it was COVID, not shake hands. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking around, and it's very awkward. And I'm seeing sports memorabilia. And apparently the deceased was a big Mets fan. Huge Mets fan, right? Mm-hmm. And there's pictures of him with George Foster... And Dave Kingman. And then there's pictures of the 86 Mets. So let me explain something to you. This will go somewhere. The 86 Mets won it all. And arguably they should have been a dynasty. There was drug problems. There was alcohol problems. There was all sorts of shit going on with this team. But they win it all. Foster and Kingman were great players. But they were on the Mets before they became great. And they were there. Like when the Mets were horrible. When the Mets were the worst team in baseball. Kingman and Foster and Pat Zachary and people like that. They stood out from the crowd. And here's this guy, Craig, with these pictures of these great players on these bad teams. So I'm thinking, all right, a lot of Matt stuff going on. And, you know, it was weird because Matt McManus got in my head. He was texting me about this whole medical recovery article he saw. and People were stealing organs from people and stuff. So I go up to the casket, and I'm like, you know, saying the prayer, and I'm thinking, is this poor guy, do you have an organ stolen? I mean, I kick it out of my head, and these people are talking, these camps are all pissed off, and whatever. Okay, cool memorabilia, I'm going to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. This is when shit really starts getting weird. Despite it being a funeral... People were using drugs and having sex in the bathroom. And I go to the bathroom. I see this guy, like, rolling lines of cocaine in the church bathroom. And I'm thinking, okay, that's weird. So I, to get away from the drug user, go to a stall. And I hear this moaning, right? And I realize two people are having sex in this stall. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I walk into here? So the coke guy, he runs out. These people are hooking up. I go to wash my hands. I'm trying to make it really quick. And the one guy comes up and he goes, okay. You caught me cheating my wife. What will it take for you to keep your mouth shut? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm slowly walking out the door like Homer Simpson going into the bushes. Number one, I would never get involved in that. 
Number two, I don't know these people, so why would they think that me being armed with information would be critical? It's weird, right? Yeah. So I go back out to the funeral, trying to get these visuals out of my head. And I see this one funeral arrangement with a big Boston Red Sox mural on it. And I'm talking to one of the people. And I said, I thought Craig was a Mets fan. Somebody sent him this Boston Red Sox thing. And they tell me, oh, well, that's Cousin Maury. He's an asshole. I'm like, okay. Explain to me the Red Sox thing. Well, he hated Craig. So he put a card in there, I'll see you in hell. And he put the Red Sox thing on there because Craig was a Mets fan. Now, at this point in the game, I've seen coke use, adulterous sex in the bathroom, relatives at each other's throats, and somebody sending a mural of an opposing team. Matt's telling me at the organs. I'm just going to be out of the house. And there's always that marginal person at the funeral. You're the person nobody knows, but they make a ruckus. And I guess this one person nobody knew stepped over the flowers, and the flowers fall to the ground. And then there's this girl. There's this girl, and you ever been to a funeral when somebody's just dressed inappropriately? I mean, I'm there with a suit and tie on, because, you know, it's a funeral, right? Okay. And there's this girl that's dressed like she's going to a club. And, um... And she goes, hey, what's up? And I'm just looking at her. She's like, I see you're checking me out. And I want to say to her, no, I'm not checking you out. But, I mean, you're dressed like you're going to a club in New York. But I just walk away. And I go sit down. And the cousin, who was my former client, starts speaking. And the cousin's emotional, right? And I'm like, oh, man, this, this really sucks for him. But I'm also texting my people, which is highly inappropriate on my end. Like, ah, this poor guy's crying. Uh, this is really tough for him. I don't know what to do. Maybe I give him a pat on the back or buy him a beer. I don't know. And the cousin goes, we have somebody very special here to speak today. It's somebody you all know. He's driven a long way to be here. And I'm thinking to myself, oh shit, who's here? Bill Amadeo, would you please come up here and impart us with some words to give the eulogy? What? So, I'm whispering in his ear, dude, what the hell are you doing? He goes, well, I invited you. You said you'd come. So he invited me to the funeral. Now, okay. I didn't think I was giving the eulogy. So I text Matt, and I text him, WTF, they're having me do the eulogy. And Matt just responds with a bunch of laugh faces. I don't know what to do. And I start thinking, all right, I remember when George Costanza was speaking to Mrs. Peterman, he was talking about the Yankees. And I'm sitting there. And I'm staring at this room in this church. A couple hundred people are there. Big funeral. And I'm staring at these people. And they're looking at me to give these words of wisdom. And I don't know what to do. What do I'm looking around. Okay, and Mike, you said I'm quick with it. I see the sports memorabilia. I saw Dave Kingman, George Foster, 86 Mets. 
As, okay. What are you going to do? Have you ever been in the situation when you have to speak? You don't know what to do in the speech. And these people are grieving and counting on you to say something meaningful. I don't know this poor guy. In fact, my former client, I didn't really know. And forgive me, but I want to get out of the house. And I drove three hours to a funeral trying to be a nice guy, but also trying to get out of house arrest during COVID. So... I'm sitting up there, and I'm thinking of David Schwimmer and the pallbearer. Who is Bill Abernathy? Who's Craig? So I say, you know, with Craig, there's so many things I could say. And and I realize, this is like the first time I gave a closing in court. I think I'm saying something very meaningless, but these people are like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. But I'm kind of running with it now. And I say, all things in life that are worthwhile, they take time and effort. And while it may sound trite, I think we need to compare this to the New York Mets. Craig loved the Mets, and let's face it, it's easy to love the 86 Mets, am I right? And these people are like, yeah, that's right, it's easy to love the 86 Mets. I'm like, okay, am I right? And I don't know why, I said, can I get an Amen. And these people, they're like, hey, Ben, you love the 86 Mets. <laughs> so I got him, right? I'm like, okay. Maybe I could bullshit through this that I don't know who this poor guy is. And I got these people screaming in this church. It's like a revival about the 86 Mets. But now I got him. Eyes are locked in. Thinking here's what we got. Now let's run with it. I said, what about those lean years, huh? Hmm? What about when the Mets traded George for George Foster and Dave Kingman? We saw the pictures over there. We know Craig loved those players, right, guys? And they are roaring. And you people, oh, he's saying what needs to be said. And I'm thinking, a little bit of knowledge of sports memorabilia is going a long way right now, right? So, I said, when George Foster came from the Reds, you Met fans thought that was it, right? You were going to win, but it didn't happen. Was it George's fault? No. What about Dave Kingman? Remember when Dave Kingman was traded in the Midnight Massacre? Then he came back and he led the league in home runs? Who remembers that? And these people are screaming, This guy, he's saying what's on Craig's mind. And I'm just talking about the Mets during bad years. And I'm thinking, okay, can I keep it going? Like, what, can I exit on that high note, right? Can I get the hell out of here? I said, what do we take from Dave Kingman and George Foster? <laughs> what do we take, guys? Here's what we take. And here's what I want you to take today. When you think about your loved one. They weren't there in the 86 Mets, were they? Kingman wasn't there. He was playing in Oakland. And then what happened? After hitting 40 home runs, he gets cut. Foster, going mid-season 86. And they gave their blood, sweat, and tears. They don't have a ring, do they? They don't have a ring! And the, the tears are, like, flowing. Shit, okay. Because they didn't have a ring. They were on the team. But the Mets won. And if you really are a Mets fan, you know. 
the Kingman and Foster. All those guys, those in years, the Pat Zacharys. Zachary! They played a role in that A16, didn't they? So it's not all about what's on paper. It's not all about what you look up on Wikipedia. It's about what built the foundation. And that's what I want you guys to take when you think about Craig. And the camps are coming together. People that are hating each other and they're hugging each other. And the guy committing adultery with his third cousin in the friggin' bathroom. Or like tears are coming out. And the guy using the cocaine. I think he's gonna get sober now. And I said that. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to speak today. And I'm texting Matt. I'm like, I think I got away with this shit. I don't. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, that happened. So, moral to the story is, you ever get stuck doing a eulogy that you were not prepared for? Having knowledge is going to really go a long way. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. What do you guys think about family, huh? Family is so important, isn't it? And let me tell you who was always important to me more than anybody. My Aunt Mary, right? Aunt Mary raised me, and my mom, who had me real young, and Miss Scandia, and it's so weird that certain family members would have a problem with me, or lie about me, or talk shit about me, or say things on social media about me. I mean, my God, don't I get enough of that from the Attorney General's office? I got to deal with it from family members? Okay. So... I got a text message from a relative, and I'm going to read the text message. And I sent it to my friend Mike McCartney. Um, it really kind of threw me off. Because let me tell you, oh cousin of mine who's watching out there, and I'm not going to talk about who we are today, okay? This is not about who we are. I'm going to talk about who we were. I'm going to kick it back to when I was 14 years old. And I was the scared little white kid in goddamn Pitney Village. We're going to talk about that. Because I'm told I don't keep it real. I need to step up to the plate. So let me read this message to you. That was sent from a relative. Yo, man. I don't care what plateau you are in life. But don't ever forget you're from 109 North Willow Avenue. I need you to call me, bro. I want to talk to you, little cuz. I hope you didn't forget where you came from. I need to talk to you, Billy, please, and has something to do with Dad. Step up to the plate, cuz. And I'll be sending messages to Dad that you don't want to get any texts. I'm the kind of cousin it might just show up. Was that a threat? So... Cuz, I'm confused. Are you coming to Ann Arbor to kick my ass? Is that what's happening? Because let me tell you something. I know you think I'm some pussy because I became a lawyer 
and I'm the educated one in the family, and I wear a suit and tie. But you know, don't forget something, cuz. I still got some fucking crazy in me, cuz I did come from 109 North Willow Avenue. Don't forget that, so let's talk about that. Let me talk to you about who the fuck I was before I became this. And I hope you're tuned in right now. And if you're not, I'm sure you'll stalk my goddamn profile and say shit. Because let me tell you how this all went down. Let's break it down, cuz. I have an aunt, not the one mentioned, that left me some money. Not a big amount of money. And I said to a family member, you can keep the money. I will sign it over to you. I just can't make a trip to New Jersey. So I will give you a power of attorney to go get this money. True or false? Okay. And the relative could not take that power of attorney to the bank. And they said to me, you have to come to New Jersey to give me that money. And I told them I couldn't go to New Jersey. I'm busy. On my plateau. So what I did was send that relative money out of my own pocket. I said, here you go. I can't make the trip to Jersey. Take care of this. This is for the past. And apparently, somehow, I'm some piece of shit that forgot where I came from. So let's talk about where the fuck I came from, cuz. Because I didn't hear from you on Christmas. I didn't hear from you on my birthday. I didn't hear from you when my son was born. I didn't hear from you when I won my first jury trial. But I heard from you that I forgot where I came from two days ago. And where'd I come from, cuz? 109 North Willow Avenue. Let's discuss that, cuz! Let's talk about that. Because you seem to think that I'm from Laura Road. No, I'm not from Laura Road. I'm from fucking Ducktown, right? I am from 109 North Willow Avenue. And as you know, being small and being white in goddamn Ducktown in the 90s, I must have had to fight a few times, right, cuz? Oh, I don't remember you being there. No, you were somewhere else, right? Hmm. Here's what I remember, cuz. remember being 14 years old this tiny kid getting my ass beat. I remember walking home to friggin' Willow Avenue next to Pitney Village, as you know, and fighting for my life. Remember having a gun put to my head? I remember being stabbed and Rose being raped? Remember finding ways to circumvent Trump Plaza to survive? But here's what I really remember. I remember getting turned down by the suburban girls. And then I remember the suburban girls thinking I was cute, but they wouldn't go out with me in public. They could do it behind people's backs. And I remember trying to talk to you about this. But you never answered the phone. Remember when Grandpa died? I remember I was the altar boy at the funeral, and you didn't show up. Remember that, cuz? Mm. Here's my favorite memory of you, cuz. 
Because, you know, if you needed money, you could have just called and asked. But instead, you called me out for my manhood. You threatened me. You're not worth my breath. But since you want to talk shit about me on social media and send your little taxes, let me tell you my favorite story about you. It was junior year of high school. And you know, the little pussy me, I was on the mock trial team. Because I was a good debater. And Aunt Mare told me if I studied real hard, I'd be able to get us the fuck out of the hood. You weren't around for that though, right? No, that was me. I don't remember you putting any money down that first house. I don't remember when Hurricane Sandy hit you paying for Aunt Mare's apartment. I don't remember you selling your condo to pay off the house. I remember you talking shit about me, but let's go back to junior year, cuz. And I got invited to this party. And I am killing it at mock trial, which I know is a joke to you. And I finally get invited. I'm finally in, right? And I gotta tell you, being invited to this party at that point in my life was the biggest thing in the world to me. I finally had some level of acceptance and the party was in Margate. And you told me you would drive me. And I thought, wow, my big cuz, that is so cool. He's going to drive me. Cause you know we didn't have a car, right cuz? We know popped the piss and there was no vehicle in the house. Right? And we had cable and phone if it was paid, but it was shut off quite a bit. But this month, the fucking phone worked. And I called you, and you were going to pick me up on that Friday night to take me to this party. And it was finally my chance to come out. You're supposed to be there at 7.30. 7.30 came, you weren't there. 8 o'clock came, you weren't there. 8.30 came, you weren't there. And I kept calling my big cuz, who I looked up to like a brother. He wouldn't just blow me off, but you did. Because you were doing something more important. You couldn't step up for little Billy. You were doing whatever. Either hooking up with some whore, or doing smoking some weed. Whatever you were doing was more important than taking me to this fucking party in Margate. And I just said, you know what? That's my cuz. I get it. Still looked up to you. But you hung me out to try. And that's just who you were back then. You were the cool guy that was older. You were the man. And I was just this little workaholic that had to study my ass off. And when Aunt Mare and Mom needed money, you weren't the one stepping up. I was the one working. I'm the one that gave up baseball in college to go work in the casino. I'm the one that gave up everything for my family. I didn't get the party in high school. I worked. I didn't get to have a normal college experience. I worked. It was all on me to get us the fuck out of there. And how dare you try to make a claim for something that I did, that I gave my blood, sweat, and tears for? Step up, cuz? My whole life has been about stepping up for my family. So, I don't remember you being there. Remember you always, like, snickering behind my back because I was the academic. Well, let me tell you something, cuz. If you want to come to Ann Arbor, 
and you want to swing, we will sign consent forms and we will go into a ring. Because let me tell you something I learned on Willow Avenue. It is more respected to get your ass beat in a fight than to run from a fight. And unlike you, I had to fight all the time because you were the big muscle guy, right? And I was just a little piece of shit. I had to work my ass off. But that's okay, bro. That's okay because you know what? Today, if you come, if you just might show up as you put in your text message, you better be ready because I'm not little Billy Amadeo anymore. And my right hook's a little better than yours. So, before I say anything else that's going to hurt certain members of my family, and here's your text message. Lawyer or not, suburbs or not, I'm still that same kid. You don't know shit about me, dude. That plateau I'm on, as you put it, do you know what the fuck it took to go from 109 North Willow Avenue to Lore Road in Ann Arbor? Do you have any clue how brutal that was for me? I didn't take any shortcuts. My family and loved ones have always come first. And that's something you don't get. Because despite you thinking you're tougher than me, which, by the way, you're not. You're not the man I am. You never were. And you never will be. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.